Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 131, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. We're having another week of craft spirits as we lead up to the Frederick Craft Spirits Festival, which still has tickets available, and there will be, I, I can't remember the number now, but all kinds of craft distilleries there offering up uh, taste, and you could purchase bottles. Uh, I think some places might have cocktails, but I don't know for sure about that. And I will also, at the end of the day, after the band's done playing, we'll be recording a live episode of Uncapped. I don't know who the guest will be yet, so we'll let everyone know that shortly. Um, so here to talk about their spirits, all the way from Kent Island, is Andy Keller, the head distiller from Blackwater Distilling. How's it going? Pretty good. Thank you for uh, trekking all the way out here. Yeah, absolutely. Love Some- the Frederick area. Not a short drive, I don't think, right? Um, about an hour and a half. Actually, that's closer than I was thinking, but that's still, thank thank you very much. <laughs> um, so I, most people in this area are probably a little more intelligent than me and actually know where Kent Island is, or, or maybe they don't know. So can you first tell us where Kent Island is? Yeah, so we're uh, right over the Bay Bridge. So if you're going down to Ocean City or, or down to Cambridge or Salisbury, any of those places, we are right on the way so we're actually our distillery is the first exit after the bridge so how did you get into distilling which i I always find that is uh most distillers seem to have an interesting story with that because there's no easy way to get into distilling or at least a legal easy way to (laughs) um so how how did you end up um going the path of becoming a distiller yeah so mine's kind of uh roundabout sort of Started, uh, I mean, I like drinking, and that started in college or so. Um, and I had an economics professor, actually, who was really into wine. He worked at a winery out in Napa Valley, so all his uh, economic models were the wine industry. And um, so he and he would have kind of wine tastings for some of the senior seminars and stuff. And me and a group of other guys really got into wine. Uh, we actually moved out to Napa Valley after school and all got jobs in wineries for a little while. Um, and I had minored in Chinese. My, my plan was to take Napa Valley wine to China and try to try to get them drinking it. So uh, me and a couple others moved to Beijing after a summer in Napa. Never really got around to um, starting a wine import business there. The beer was too cheap, uh, so we drank beer and got real jobs. Um, did that for a couple years and eventually came back to the U.S. to get married and got into homebrewing beer. Uh, and really loved that. Wanted to start a brewery for a while and looked at the like 4,000 breweries that were out there at the, at the time and thought, uh, I don't know if we need another one. Um, I think it's now it's up to <laughs> Yeah, I know. 6, Apparently we needed or... like 2,000 yeah. more or 3,000 more. Um, so uh, I'd, I had read some article, I guess maybe in The Economist, about craft distilling in, in the UK. And I was like, I didn't know you could do that. So I started looking into it and uh, yeah, got a got a little still and started teaching myself how to how to make gin and whiskey and and that sort of thing and that's kind of how I fell into it. So, what brought you to Maryland? Um, my wife. 
Okay. Yeah. So she was, uh, we lived in China together. Um, she left to come back to grad school in DC at uh, GW and I quit my job at that point and actually biked around China for a year with my friend in a last uh, bout of freedom. Uh, and then came back to, came back to DC. That had that to be day. a fun experience. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so we, we biked a little over 10,000 miles just throughout the country over the oh, course wow. of the year. I almost um, want to talk to Jeff like, about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been almost 10 years now, so I forget most of okay. it. <laughs> there, was, um, <clears throat> there was a guy recently who did a book tour. It was, uh, I think, like the books, some something biking across the – actually, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop trying to botch the title. But he had a tandem bike, okay. and he just went around the world giving people rides on – uh, on a tandem bike <laughs> and then wrote a story about like all the people he met and mm-hmm. um his journey across the i, I think it, i think he touched almost all the continents like that he, that he went around to is really awesome. really interesting guy but yeah, I, I imagine <laughs> though biking throughout china is also yeah an interesting our, our, endeavor our goal was kind of similar uh bike around meet interesting people kind of talk to them and learn their stories and we were kind of keeping a blog up at the time um this was back uh 2009 2010 so i i had like 50 pounds of photography equipment on my bike and stuff for for all this yeah my bike was so heavy um and and so we kept up this blog uh part photography part storytelling and just kind of talking about chinese society and the country and that sort of thing um had intentions of writing a book and again beer got in the way so were were people really inviting as you went around like because i I don't know at all do do chinese people like americans are Uh, they inviting to um, americans or we just yeah we (laughs) we were uh we had maybe one bad encounter the entire time um but other than that yeah we were invited into people's homes um we did uh, a lot of camping uh, on you know the side of the road and that sort of thing. It's not like the U.S. where there's private property and, ever, and everything. So it was more of uh, run-ins with the police rather than property owners. Okay, <laughs> get us into trouble there. And then uh, yeah, stayed with a lot of families, drank a lot of uh, homemade alcohols, which was another thing that got us into this. It's not uh, home distilling is not illegal there. Um, okay, so it's, it's not legal either. It's just kind of a gray area. Everyone does it, making booze out of. Potatoes or rice or look the other way (laughs) type of arrangement. Yep. So how, um, how did you then end up at Blackwater? Yeah. So I was, um, at that point looking to start my own distillery and just gone around to all the other distilleries that there were in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Um, there weren't many at that time. So it was Catoctin Creek and, uh, Copper Fox in Virginia. Uh, Green Hat was just opening in DC and uh, in Maryland, it was just Blackwater. So Blackwater was the uh, oldest distillery in Maryland. Um, and I, I went around and toured all these places, talking to the owners about their process for starting a distillery. And it, it just seemed uh, with, with Blackwater, uh, their real need was, was some, some actual labor on site. Um, <laughs> and they had all the equipment, or they had all the licenses and everything to, to get started, whereas I was just kind of beginning the process. And it just ended up a lot more, making a lot more sense to kind of join forces and, and come to work there, use some of the money I had raised to bring in some equipment and start doing some new stuff. So we started making rum shortly after. They were focused on vodka before that. How long had had they been producing spirits yet, or was he yeah. in like the build out stage? Yeah, they had you... uh, they had put their first batch out in April two thousand eleven. Okay. Yep. 
So then I came on uh, 2000, late 2013. So I assume Blackwater has something to do with the location of being near the ocean, but I could be yeah. wrong about that. So <laughs> where did the name Blackwater come from? Because it's a pretty cool name. Yeah, so um, there's uh, about 45 minutes down, further down the, to the east from us uh, is Cambridge, Maryland. And outside of that, there's an area called Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge. Um, so the other guys, Chris and John Cook, they had spent a lot of time there as kids uh, and scouts and that sort of thing. Uh, it's great. Uh, biking, canoeing, a really beautiful place. Um, so the, the name is uh, it's named after that. And um, and we've got a, a couple different uh, brands. What they had from the beginning was Sloop Betty. Um, so that was the, the vodka brand. And the Sloop is a type of sailboat. And the Sloop Betty was just a little merchant ship uh, that got captured on the Chesapeake Bay by Blackbeard in the early 1700s. And he and his crew found that it was full of wine coming back from Portugal, got a little little sloshed on that and set the ship on fire. And that was the end of the Betty. <laughs> and then our rums are called Picaroon, which is an old word for rogue or scoundrel. So is the is that the logo for just the brand or is that the logo for Blackwater? So that's the with the weird. So we chicken got the high, on the on the vodka. We have the, the girl we call her. You Betty. Hold, if you hold them up, you can. Yeah. Be able so, to see. Um, that's the vodka brand. And then uh, on the rum side here, uh, we've got the Pickerin brand. Uh, this is the coffee uh, liqueur. And it's uh, it's depicting a little uh, British on British naval battle that occurred on one of the creeks near us uh, in the uh, early 1600s. So Ken Island was just a little trading post uh, at that time owned by a family that considered themselves to be part of Virginia. And when uh, Maryland wanted to be wanted them to be part of Maryland, uh, they kind of put up a fight about it. So this is depicting the battle between the cockatrice of Ken Island and the St. Helen of Baltimore. So the cockatrice is a mythical creature with the body of a dragon and the head of a uh, cock. And so <laughs> that's what we decided to put on the uh, on the label for that. It's cool artwork. I like it. It is, yeah. We're working with um, with a little outfit called Tribe here in Frederick. Uh, so they've done some work. Oh, cool! They did uh, and uh, Monaco. They did Monoxy yeah, and a couple of the breweries br- brewings stuff. branding. Yep. Yeah, yeah so they're they really do wonderful talented. work. Um, you know, we've won a lot of awards for our spirits, and now we're winning awards for the for the artwork and the design and everything on there as well, uh, which is pretty cool. And they just got picked up. They did a logo redesign for the American Distilling Institute, which is. Um, kind of one of the craft industry associations that, that represents the distilling industry in the U S and there was, before we started, there was one interesting trait of the, was, what was the name Cockatrice. of the cockatrice if you look into it, what if you, if it looks at you directly, you die, you, die. Or, you just die. So I'm assuming that, that it won the battle right then. Cause well, I mean, you know, was, Ken Island is part of Maryland <laughs> though. So spoiler alert, cockatrice <laughs> lost. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, to I know. Me now. It's pretty vicious. <laughs> <laughs> Can't uh, all make sense. Right, um, let's uh, let's take a real quick break to thank our sponsors, and then uh, we can talk about the the individual spirits that okay. um, you guys have and um, how you're how they're made, um, and I actually find what what type of still you have and like, all that good stuff. So. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. 
In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. The Frederick Spirits Festival is coming back to the Frederick Fairgrounds on April 20th for a day of food, music, and local spirits. Find your inner mixologist with a cocktail mixing seminar with sampling included with a crafting pass, or join us for the spirits sampling by picking up a tasting pass. Liven up your liquor cabinet with local Maryland spirits. For more information and tickets, go to frederickspiritsfestival.com. So what do you consider to be Blackwater's specialty? Like if there's one one of your brands that you kind of hang your hat on, which one is it? Um, for me, it's uh, aged rum, I think, is kind of our big thing. Uh, we got to start on that a little earlier than, than some of the other distilleries in the area. Um, and I think we make some some great aged rums. So it's that's definitely my favorite. Out in the market, the, the original vodka has been out for the longest, so you'll see that around a lot um, in this area. Um, Roast House has, has been a longtime supporter of ours. So you'll find our vodka there um, and a bunch of uh, even other accounts in the area Okay, well. that's where I've seen it. I, I knew that the name sounded familiar to me, and I've seen it somewhere. Yeah. It, it, was, it was definitely at Roast House Pub that I saw it. Um, how uh, how long is rum aged in barrels, or is it yeah, just so like whiskey, where it'll vary depending on? It'll taste? definitely vary. Um, rum's kind of fun from a producer perspective. There's not not a lot of rules about rum in the U.S. It's not one of our national spirits like bourbon or rye. So you know, if you want to call something bourbon, you know, you've got to make it out of 51% corn at least. You got to uh, distill it to less than 160 proof, put it into a brand new charred barrel at less than 125 proof, and then you get to call it bourbon. Uh, with rum, you have to make it out of sugar cane or its byproducts like molasses, uh, distill it to less than vodka purity, and that's about it. So anything other than that uh, is kind of up to the producer. And, and so great from a producer standpoint, sucks from a consumer standpoint because you never know what's going into that bottle. Yeah, um, You're allowed to add you know, uh, sugar back to the bottle after the fact, and you don't have to report that. Um, caramel food coloring, it's a big thing. So uh, when you see white rum, amber rum, dark rum, silver rum, black rum, whatever, doesn't necessarily tell you anything about how, how that was arrived at. Um, so for us, uh, the dark rum uh, was our first aged rum. Uh, we'll give it between a year and a half and two years in brand new charred uh, American oak barrels. And then we blend that with some of our unaged rum, uh, a little bit of caramelized sugar that we make in-house to give it a little toasty sweetness and smooth it out a bit. Um, and then we've got our single barrel rum, uh, that'll change. Each barrel is different, but right now it's two and a half years from a used bourbon barrel. And then we've got our Solera aged rum, which is kind of our flagship sipping rum. Um, it's a blend of things, uh, about eight and a half years down to two and a half years right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the Solera aging process is, is a kind of a winemaking technique that we're applying to rum and so it ends up being a, a blend of different vintages and different barrels uh, that go into the bottle so eventually this will be made up of very old rums all the way from like you know 15 oh, years that's down right. to three I, years i think um grant didn't old westminster tell us about that the solera aging yeah so they've they've got a uh a solera age like port style dessert wine that's that okay i think yeah. he was telling us about we that actually one. picked up a couple of of their barrels uh emptied of that the other about a year ago um and we've had uh whiskey aging in those for the last last year or so so do you do it is, is like a 
by tasting and blending it off of flavors or are you just like going through the ages and yeah so mixing it? it it sort of runs on autopilot which is the the nice thing about it uh it's a ton of labor so that's why it's 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 definitely our most expensive process but uh the way you can visualize it a, a solera Solera aging basically means you're never emptying the barrel fully, so you always leave at least half of it in there to continue to age and provide consistency, and then you're putting new make uh, on top of it and then giving that some time to age. So that's a very simple Solera. Um, we took it a lot more levels than that, so basically we've got five levels of barrels. Uh, we're bottling only out of the bottom level, so we do it twice a year. We'll pull less than half out of each of the barrels on the bottom, blend that together, put that into the bottle, that empty space will refill with rum from the next level up. That empty space gets refilled with rum from the next level up. Okay. So that fifth level on the top, that's where we're putting new rum out of the still. Uh, so what that means, it's going to kind of take three years for, for anything new to show up in the bottle for the first time. By the time it shows up in there, it's it's had three years of aging. Um, but we've left so much behind in each level on the way down, it's actually less than 1% of the blend. So the way we're operating it, um, after a few years of doing this, it's going to take about a decade, and then we'll kind of even out at about seven years average in the bottle made up of very old rums all the way down to uh, about three years. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so we're but, probably— but you said it does sound like a lot of work. Yeah, so <laughs> when i when I got to take the whole stack of barrels apart every time we do it and then, you know, empty each level into a container and then take out what I'm, what I'm bottling and put it back into those barrels and do the same with the next level. So it's about a three-day process just to— I uh, get one bottling, and and it's uh, on uh, on the grand scheme of things, it's a very small Solera. So you know we get uh, a few hundred bottles every six months out of that. So it's a very limited product for us. So at some point, will those barrels be used to the point where you need to replace them, or with a rum barrel, can you just keep using it and using it? Yeah. So there's no legal requirement to replace anything because we don't have to put it in new charred oak or anything like that. Um, but uh, barrels do eventually go neutral, so uh, it's just not contributing any flavor to the aging process from okay. the barrel. So um, it, one of the fun things about the Solera, though, is I can mix in different barrels uh, that have been used previously for other things or are brand new. So we've got a, a combination of brand new charred oak. We've got used bourbon, used rye barrels. Um, I've got uh, one used red wine barrel from uh, Black Ankle up in uh, Westminster as well. Uh, so those are all kind of in there, and through the nature of the process, it kind of gets seam- those flavors get seamlessly blended together and make a really complex spirit at okay. the end. So it's not all like each level isn't always the same barrel, it, right? Per se, it's uh, yeah. I mean, uh, so a constant juggling of yeah, barrels, exactly. really. So with, that that's the part to pay attention to is how long has each barrel been in there aging okay. spirit. So eventually, you know, switch out a barrel here, switch out a barrel there. Try to keep the flavor profile pretty consistent. Um, while you know keeping those flavors from the new barrels in there and everything so how many barrels how many barrels do you guys have now total in that system it's uh 25 barrels so yeah, five 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 levels of five barrels uh and overall we've got um uh, just about 50 something barrels okay. in the house right now aging so when when you're doing um single barreled rums have you ever gotten to the point where like you went to are are you just going through and then whichever barrels taste the best that becomes a single barrel rum or how do you determine that? So, um, the single barrel program, I kind of view as just a way to play around. Um, I want each one to be very different. So, um, 
I've got some a, a couple smaller barrels that I picked up from 1.8 Distilling in DC and put rum into. Uh, one of those will probably be our single barrels. Um, other things just have a plan to them. They're meant either for our Solera or they're meant for the dark rum. Um, but uh, if there's just something really interesting, like I've got a barrel that uh, Chesapeake Bay Roasting Company used to store coffee beans in for a while. So I filled that up with rum. Um, so that'll have kind of a coffee note to it. So that one is, is just kind of playing around a series of one-offs. Okay. Um, but yeah, in terms of deciding which batch to release next, it's which of the random barrels we have taste the best. Okay. <laughs> so it's not like you, you say this barrel, this is going to be single barrel version, whatever. And then you try it and like, Oh no, we can't use right. that. And yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just picking something that tastes good and would work as a single barrel. Yeah. So I try not to open the barrels and taste them all the time, but you know, <laughs> every once in a while we, we, you know, if we're starting to run out of this batch of single barrel, we'll kind of go in and taste, see how things are progressing and which one's going to be our next, next barrel. Okay. Um, how is, how is, um, your coffee rum made? So the coffee rum, uh, we start with our unaged rum. Uh, I infuse it with vanilla beans and allspice berries for a couple of weeks. It's got some spice, spices to it. And then I make a cold brew coffee in-house uh, with beans from Chesapeake Bay Roasting Company. And uh, so basically our, our unaged rum starts at 100, 120 proof. I'm infusing all those spices. And then rather than diluting that down, we bottle it at 60 proof. So rather than dilute it down with water, we're diluting it down with uh, that cold brew coffee. Okay. And uh, I make a, a caramel syrup in-house to sweeten it up. So it's got a like sweet caramel flavor to it as well. Oh, nice. Um, so that that's never inside of like a barrel is that right so that's, that's all in like a stainless unaged. steel vessel for yep. the yeah exactly in the um the vanilla and stuff is that like in a bag yeah like to, basically like one of those bag hot, hot bag things okay. <laughs> yeah and that just sits in the spirit for a couple of weeks and, and infuses so then you you mentioned so the dark rum that's also barrel age. It's not just that it's, it's kind of dark. Tra- it's kind of transitional. Um, so it's a, it gets most of its color from the barrel. Um, we're blending in some unaged rum, uh, some of our unaged rum, and then uh, we make a caramel syrup. Uh, not okay. a caramel syrup, but just a caramelized sugar. It doesn't have a ton of sweetness to it. That's mostly for color and just a little toastiness. Okay. So it's kind of a dirty secret of rum. There's a lot of sugar added back after yeah. the fact, either uh, just because people expect rums to be sweet. Um, or for accomplishing something so so the caramelized sugar is kind of traditional in in rum making to add that back in so that's what we decided to do for our dark rum the single barrel and the solera have nothing added back to them they're just straight sipping rums that's the goal so rum isn't necessarily a diet spirit (laughs) a lot of it isn't yeah (laughs) and and you can go online now i mean you can um basically use a hydrometer just like you use when you're when you're making beer to uh compare um uh, the the proof that they say the spirit is on the bottle to what you would get in a reading uh, on the hydrometer, and that will kind of tell you how much sugar is in there if you do some concentrations because or some some calculations because the sugar is going to throw off the density of it. Basically, you're measuring the density of, of alcohol and water, and that's a known quantity. Then you throw sugar in there; it just kind of obscures that. So a ton of sugar will obscure that a lot, and it'll make it look like there's very little alcohol in there. Okay. Um, so people have done this now, and so you can go to some websites online, look up major brands and their products, and how many grams per liter of sugar added back to it. Okay. So it's anywhere from zero, um, and only one country has a rule about that, which is Barbados. So if you get like Mount Gay or uh, 
Foursquare, any of the runs from Barbados, you know, there's no sugar added to them. But like there's one, uh, Rhonda Jeremy from uh, Ron Jeremy. It's got like 80 grams per liter of uh, sugar added back to it. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why, but it just kind of fits in my mind. (laughs) Totally adulterated. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I I had no idea that... uh, is he actually involved with the distillery, or are they just uh, using his name? And just, I, I mean, he's he's involved in the brand. I doubt he's uh, in there stirring the uh, <laughs> stirring the sugar in. Oh, that's funny. Where's that place located? I have no idea. Uh, it's, it's probably not even a real place. It's, I'm uh, sure yeah, it's just, just put together in a factory somewhere out of somebody else's they, stuff. Yeah, uh, just buy <laughs> buy juice from someone. Yeah. And- I have no idea. It's, it's not all that well reviewed. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I mean, I would, I would think that that would be like gold medal winning uh, products. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you had, uh, do you do any whiskey? You said you do. We a do a little, little bit. Dabble um, in it. I yeah. Guess. So basically, uh, our equipment is is just not really great for making whiskey. So um, when we get some new equipment, we'll get more into whiskey, and we want to be focusing on rye whiskey as that's kind of what was in Maryland historically, and it's that's been a goal of ours for a long time. Uh, we've made a, a little bit of rye whiskey in-house, um, but until we get new equipment, rye is just a terrible pain to make if you don't have the right equipment for it because uh, it just gums up the mash, and, and the way R still works, that'll just kind of burn onto it. So I do a little bit of malt whiskey in-house, uh, and then what we do, we bring in some, some whiskeys from other distilleries, make blends that we like, um, put, you know, with some of our whiskey in it. Um, and then we usually do a secondary aging in used wine barrels from other, or used, used barrels from other places, um, anywhere from six months to a little over two years that we're doing some work on it in-house to kind of make it our own. Okay. Um, so what, it, what about your still, it makes it not... Uh, conducive for making whiskey so it's it's electrically fired so it's it's literally got like heating elements in the mash okay Um, so if you've got so you burn a really thick mash in there you know we've got an agitator on it and everything so it'll stir it around uh but even so if i make a i can make a really thin mash and i can get whiskey out of it but the the labor that i had to put into that compared to how much comes out is just almost not worth it so until we can get a a steam fired still it's going to be a very small amount of whiskey that we make okay but when, when you're making rum, that doesn't yeah, so rum's come into just, play. Oh, because it's sugar. just a liquid, yeah. right? Okay. Yep. So we're just we're just working with the liquid, and we've got really long heating elements in the in the still to kind of spread that wattage out. So it, it's not going to scorch that sugary. Or, I mean, the yeast have eaten the sugar, so it's not even sugary anymore. But there still are some some dissolved solids in there. Okay. But so, it doesn't scorch that. So when yeah, when you're making. When you're making whiskey, though, is the when it go when the wash goes into the still, it doesn't still have um, like a barley or whatever it's made from in it, does it? Or is it just American, like American the whiskey gen- generally does? Yeah. Oh, so okay. generally in America, we're distilling whiskey on the grain. Um, Scotch whiskey, they are doing it basically like beer, where you're making a wort and then straining it off. Um, and just working with the liquid at the end. Okay. So their stills, you, if we were doing that, we could use our stills. We just need a, a mash ton, a mash louder ton, and we don't have one of those either. <laughs> <laughs> Got to, yeah, we're definitely uh, bootstrapping it from the equipment side of things. Okay. You know, we build our own temperature control for the fermenters, which are basically the plastic containers that our sugar comes in and, and that sort of thing. Uh, 
so it was it was rum uh, a spirit that you particularly liked beforehand, or was it the basically the we, we intended that, to make whiskey and, okay. and then learn quickly <laughs> yeah, that learned, it wasn't learned quickly that it wasn't really going to work out like we huh. had hoped, um, and and then really started looking at rum. So I I was not a huge rum person before getting into it. Now I drink almost nothing but rum. Uh, <laughs> I mean I I really love it. Rum is it's one of the most diverse categories of spirit i think just because of all the, the flexibility you have as a producer um and you get into all sorts of different fermentation styles different distillation styles um that make two rums that you know are all made out of some form of, of sugar just completely different if you try something from the french caribbean martinique they're making it out of just fresh breast juice out of the cane it gets really wild and vegetal versus jamaica uh, carries some of those traits over but they're making it mostly out of molasses um, and there's there they get some really funky fermentations with bacteria and stuff involved that just give it these notes of like stewed pineapples and guava and it, oh, it's just cool. really funky stuff. Whereas you know if you try something from Puerto Rico, it's like really clean, uh, just a nice sweet clean sipper. So we try to do uh, something that's somewhere in between. Um, when we were working on the rum recipe, we started out basically with every sugar that we could get our hands on. Um, so we started with 16 different sugars, fermented and distilled each one of those, uh, did a blind taste testing one morning. It was a lot of fun where we tasted through 16 rums, uh, picked our sugar and then went back, fermented that with, I think six, six different yeast strains that we tried out, uh, picked our yeast, um, which is isolated. It's a yeast isolated from natural sugarcane fermentation. So we do get a little bit of that kind of, uh, um, wild fermentation sort of style to it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, after that, playing around with distilling to different purities, um, you know, if we're carbon filtering or not carbon filtering the white rum and all those variables. So it took us about nine months to, to actually develop the, the original rum recipe. Okay. Dumped a lot of rum down the drain, <laughs> <laughs> which is a sad thing. So you wouldn't be able to just re-distill it into a neutral spirit or um yeah, we, we probably could have. Um, we had just classified it as R&D on the paperwork. So oh, okay. Just, <laughs> didn't matter. But, but yeah, in, in theory, um, we could have redistilled it and used it for something. Okay. Do, um, when you're making rum, do you stick to just one type of sugar, or do you have, do you use blends sometimes? Or? Uh, so for us right now, we've used entirely one type of sugar, so it's, it's basically the rawest sugar that we can get our hands on. Um, Obviously, we don't grow sugarcane in Maryland, so we can't actually work with the plant itself, which I'd love to. Um, but we get it from a sugar company in Georgia. They press the juice out of the cane, filter out the plant fibers and that sort of thing, boil off most of the water, and then we get a thick syrup um, from that. So it's called a golden cane syrup. Really delicious stuff. It makes um, kind of a light-flavored rum um, in comparison to if you're working with, like, blackstrap molasses, which is kind of the final byproduct of the sugar refining process. Um but we really like it, especially we're starting out with unaged rounds. We wanted something that was kind of light and pure and uh, totally non-offensive, but but still with enough flavor to it that it stands up to like if you're trying it next to Bacardi or one of the other big name white rounds, it's got a lot more flavor to it than that. Okay. Do, so do you? Is it the same um, base sugar across all the yep. types of? Yeah. Uh, so for us, eventually, I'd like to get into different sugars and and. Uh, and that sort of thing. But right now we just got a, a limited number of rum products. And um, so we, we've just stuck to the one sugar so far. It seems like with, with rum though, there's, the, there's so much 
I guess playing around you can do with even if it's and you're looking across it everything's starting out the same base way but mm-hmm. with then what turning it into a uh, caramelized uh, and adding it back in to add flavors and right there's a lot so you can do with it that's why it's so much fun <laughs> yep so is then is most of the minute like flavor manipulation then done after the the stilling process or is it, uh, it is that done during it really the, depends i mean it's not like we don't do it like we don't do any flavored rums yet so you could do that you know just like gin you know put put orange peels or whatever in the uh in the gin basket and run rum through there and have an orange flavored rum um we haven't gotten into any of that so um if we're doing any like flavoring like with the caramel that happens at the end uh, we've got a lot of decisions that we can make in the production process before that with fermentation methods and, and distilling methods so We've got uh, two different strains of yeast that we use. Um, one is a little more kind of standard that we get from a big yeast company, and then the other is a house strain of a totally different species of yeast than is used for, for beer or other things. Um, that does a super long fermentation, takes three or four weeks to, to actually do the ferment, which is long for a distillery, very long for yeah, a distillery. With distillers, yeast is like two days, yeah, right? two or three days is what a lot of distilleries are doing, um, you know, even our our other yeast takes six or seven days, so it's still a long fermentation in, in the distilling scheme. Um, but that one that takes three or four weeks, that's time for some of the bacteria and stuff to kind of get in there and do some work on the, on the rum, so that makes a much more interesting rum. We haven't gotten to release any of that. That's what's going into kind of the top of our Solera, so that'll okay. take uh, three years to kind of start showing up in the bottle for the first time. The difference that yeast makes um, was something that surprised me with spirits. Like yeah. with, I mean... With beer, it just makes sense. It's there, so obviously <laughs> yeah. it's going to impart flavor. But I just like, I guess I kind of always just thought that, like, before the distillation process, that right, that part of it doesn't do you know, like that all you're doing much is creating alcohol. That. Yeah, that it, yeah. So in that process, I mean, it, it's just like beer. Those those yeast are putting off all those other compounds that are really creating the flavor of the spirit. So some basically the distilling, you're distilling down what you've fermented so um all those different components kind of have their own boiling point so they will either come over in the still or they're going to stay behind in the in the still the spent mash after the distilling um and if they do come over they're coming over at different parts in the distilling process based on their boiling point you can kind of be selective that way about what you're keeping what you're kind of removing on the margins to try to make a nicer product or make different decisions that way so we distill differently for something that's going into a barrel and it's going to have three or four or five, six years to kind of sit there and, and mellow out and, and improve versus if we're putting it into a bottle right away, we want to do a super clean fermentation, super clean distillation, really clean cuts um, so that it's very approachable in the bottle from the start. But yeah, I you know, I wasn't aware of how much uh, the yeast made a difference when I got into distilling either. Um, you know, and I was a brewer as well. So yeah, kind of had the same assumption. Yeah. In my mind is like, <laughs> oh, that's just used to create the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. and, then, <laughs> and that's what a lot of people think. So if you, if you go on like the home distiller message boards and stuff, it's all these people that, you know, using the turbo yeast that ferments to 20% to get the most alcohol out of it. And for their nutrients, they're using like tomato paste and, and lawn fertilizer. And <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> those places are scary. Those boards are scary. <laughs> so maybe that's why it's not leaked. 
legal to distill. <laughs> I mean, yeah, doing... I was a big proponent for legal home distilling until I started reading those message boards. <laughs> I'm like, maybe this should be illegal. <laughs> Turns out the politicians may have done something <laughs> correct this time. Yeah, because like, no, I still was... still believe people should be allowed to make their own mistakes. Yeah. So I, I'm for legalizing it at home. You know, it's not not really any more dangerous than than making beer. Well, I think it was. Except that it uh, can explode. Why well, I was just—it gets a little explodey sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I think it was um, Tyler from McClintock explained to me once: if you're not doing um, some with the cuts correctly, that you can create enough gas that you can cause an explosion. Yeah. Well, or is I, it the, or if te- it, the temperature yeah, or something? If you that, forget to start your condenser, that's water it. Or something ah, like that's that, what it was. Yeah. Alcohol vapors just in the room and you go out to grab a sandwich or something and come back and flip the light switch and then kaboom. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's probably the real reason why <laughs> it's totally... you should be able to make your own mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although like if, if you're using a little yeah, uh, I mean, still at home, would you even be able to create enough vapor that depends yeah. on if you're doing it in a closet or a big room, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I actually get the, uh, the amount of ventilation would yep. Uh, so you have anything you want to try now? Or what? Yeah, so I figured walk you through some of the rums here. Okay. Um, so we'll start. Uh, the dark rums are our youngest of the aged rums. We've also got that uh, white rum, and we do a gold rum. It's our white rum with a little bit of caramelized sugar added to it. And, uh, tell me how much you want in your pour. <laughs> Just a little. I really like the packaging. It's an attractive... Uh, bottle Thank it's you. very eye-catching yeah we did a uh, a custom custom bottle here um that we actually uh found there's this old caribbean uh, rum liqueur called corypton um that we're actually going to uh just pretty soon going to be releasing um our recreation of it so it's been defunct for for like 80 years now so we're going to try to bring that back so this is the bottle that Krypton originally went in. We kind of had it recreated and just embossed our name on it. We've actually got around the base of the bottle, uh, the Maryland flag is kind of embossed oh, cool. around there to, to get that on there without being too out there in your face with it. Um, I don't know. It, we we got to have it. it. I was going to say, we've, I've said multiple times on this show that the advice I give to someone is just slap the American, <clears throat> the Maryland flag <laughs> on something. You're going to sell it then. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I brought actually your favorite mixer. What the hell? What, no, I don't. Oh, I, yes. What's well, the only only one worth oh, using? There we go. That's <laughs> the only one I'm capable of using. <laughs> or tonic. I am capable yeah. of pouring a little bit of tonic into. Uh, like some. Um, yes, ice ice belongs, in, and I think mm-hmm. that just goes like I don't I don't like any warm beverages. I drink everything on ice. <laughs> Yeah, I used to be a, a you know pretty complicated drinker, making cocktails and everything at home. I really enjoyed that uh, back when all we had was our unaged spirits. Um, now that we've got stuff that we can just put on ice and and sip on it, that's definitely how I like to drink. So I've become a very simple drinker. Thankfully, I've I've grown to enjoy that because as I've said multiple times, I'm too lazy to do anything <laughs> more than just pour. It. Yeah. <laughs> so we try to make, try to make everything uh, so that you can do that. That's our goal. Th- this is really good. That. The first, um, the first drink of it gave that nice, just like the, <laughs> not an uncomfortable burn, but there was definitely felt it going down mm-hmm. the, your esophagus, but then it's super smooth afterwards. 
Yeah, so a little bit of that caramelized sugar in there definitely helps smooth it out a little bit because uh, it is a, a young rum in the grand scheme of things. Um, but, yeah, um, this one we've actually won uh, Best Aged Rum two years in a row at the American Distilling Institute competition uh, or Best in Category for Aged Rum or whatever you want to call it. So definitely happy about that. It seems to work. Yeah. <laughs> That's um that's one of the more prestigious ones too, right? Like that's um, the it's it's the one. So ADI is is the industry association. So it, it's mostly U.S. craft distillers that that enter that. Um, we submit uh, some some of the larger international competitions as well. So our vodka's done pretty well there. Our our white rum's gotten bronze and gold rum silver at the New York World Wine Spirits Competition, and the uh, we do an overproof white rum at 120 proof, and that's gotten silver there as well. That's probably something I would not be able to handle. That is it's it's an impressive thing that those judges do, you know, to go through and taste hard liquor all day, you know, from 120, you know, 150 proof. <laughs> so that the average person who's not lazy, how would you recommend drinking the the dark rum, or would you just recommend sipping on it? Yeah, I mean, kind of the classic dark rum drink is a dark and stormy. Um, which is just dark rum, uh, ginger beer, and lime juice. So it's uh, we, dark and stormy is stupidly uh, trademarked by Goth Goslings. So oh. you literally <laughs> have to make it with uh, <laughs> with Gosling Goslings rum and uh, Goslings ginger beer in order to call it a dark and stormy. So we called it Stormy Chesapeake or something like that with ours. But yeah, that's that's a good thing to do with it. Um, honestly, I I like subbing rum into into whiskey cocktails as well so like a rum old-fashioned or um which would which would just be like the dark rum with uh, a little sugar and and uh angostura bitters very simple cocktail that you could do some coke yeah so <laughs> <laughs> coke with our uh, we definitely have people that like to do that with our overproof white rum uh that one uh is basically the rum straight off the still um without any carbon filtering or anything so it's got a lot of a lot of flavor to it that can even come through against a little coke I'm uh I'm guessing that the overproofed one is not a sipping one. Uh not for most people, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overproof means it will light on fire. So the original British proofing system uh was set at the kind of the, the point where you could light alcohol on fire. So above that was overproof, under that was underproof. Okay. So it uh, that happens at around 115 proof. So this is at 120, so you can light it on fire which makes it probably not a sipper. Yeah. <laughs> I know I definitely would not be able to. That is really good. I like that. Thank you. Oh. Jump up to the uh, single barrel here, which uh, this is a little higher at 100 yeah, we'll, proof. We'll go so with we'll just go a little splash of that one <laughs> just to get an idea. It smells good. Yeah, so this one from a... Uh, a used bourbon barrel for two and a half years. Um, so the brand new charred oak uh, gives gives spirits like a kind of really deep like caramel and vanilla sort of flavor. A lot of sweetness comes out of that wood. Um, a used bourbon barrel is, I get more of like kind of crisp pears and apples and, and that sort of flavor out of out of that. So it's a, a lighter flavor coming out of it. Um, do, you, do you try to get certain bourbons or you don't care? It's just a bourbon barrel? Um, Work with One Eight Distilling in DC a lot because they're emptying bourbon barrels, um, and we've we've used stuff from other distillers. This is uh, from One Eight. This barrel. That's good. 
Actually, it's a lot smoother than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, I mean, a hundred proof it's, is a little scary when you when you first sound, look at yeah, it. Yeah, it sounds. But I guess it's really not that much more than no. what, the, <laughs> what that what the uh, regular dark one was. Yeah, and when we get into the barrel age stuff, a lot of a lot of people who really like, especially single barrels, they want it as uh, as close as possible to cast strength. Um, so you can always add your own water to it, which is what we tell people that are kind of turned off by the by the concentration. Um, but you know, when you add water, you're diluting down the flavor as well, and a lot of people want to. You know, if they're spending a bunch of money on a single barrel, they yeah. buy the original flavor. It's very flavorful, even with the, I mean, I guess the ice probably didn't melt quite enough to <laughs> change it much, but that was a little bit was really good. Um, I would assume with that one, same sort of cocktails would apply as the, the dark rum. Yeah. Um, they just get a bit more expensive when you start, um, so in, in terms of price points, we're selling the dark for about 36, the single barrel 42, Solera 55. So you can definitely make cocktails with as, as nice of liquor as you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, the cocktails get better. Yeah. They also get a lot more expensive. So <laughs> <laughs> it depends on your priorities. So like a, a coffee rum, is that meant to just be sipped on straight or... So are uh, there cocktails that it would work well in? Yeah. So uh, one that you can do with it is a white Russian, which is okay. Uh, yeah, that which would is, be uh, vodka, cream, and, and coffee liqueur. Um, so um, that's good with it. It's definitely ours is definitely a sipper. You can just put it on the rocks and drink it. Um, add a little a little cream to it to dilute it down. Um, I like kind of subbing it in just tiny little thing, pour, tiny little proportions, in like a Manhattan or something like that, just to give it a little coffee note. So basically, any any kind of cocktail where where coffee's not going to screw it up, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> also goes well in coffee <laughs> so for breakfast. Do you want to top off your macchiato, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a caramel cloud macchiato from Starbucks? I have not. You should, because they're absolutely. T- <laughs> this is not the coffee, but here we go. <laughs> All right, so this here is the Solera aged rum. So, like I said, kind of our flagship sipping rum. And again, you can make cocktails with it, um, but our goal is to make it so you can just put it on the rocks and, and drink it or drink it neat. I'm surprised at how different they are to each other. And I yeah, guess so to you, the, that uh, probably makes complete sense. <laughs> and to anyone knows rum, <laughs> yeah, it's, that, especially it, with the Solera. Um, so the, the Solera method, as you're building your Solera system, normally you would take as many years to start it up as you, um, as you have levels. So you'd fill level one, year one, level two, year two, and then you'd start pulling from it at, at the end. Um, to kind of shortcut that, we brought in some older Jamaican rum and blended it with our younger rum to kind of make average ages in those levels. So uh, this, this bottling is about 50-50 our rum and Jamaican rum, okay. and then kind of throughout the the nature of that process that'll seamlessly transition hopefully fairly seamlessly transition over to 100 percent our rum like a decade from now so, the, so this will be the, the most different of the of the bunch okay in that whole method is that just to add in more complexity of flavors and yeah uh complexity and consistency because any changes that you make um like I said, with our system, changes kind of show up 
of the bottle at a time. Mm-hmm. The first time that new fermentation style that we do or or whatever shows up in the bottle, it's it's just a very tiny uh, portion of it. So um, changes should be very gradual. Okay. And, and so that's one of the tough things being a, a small producer is just making a consistent product from batch to batch. So this is not an easy way to accomplish that, but it is a way. <laughs> so like an easier way than to taste and have to blend things together to try to match a yeah. flavor profile. So like uh, if, if you go to one of the big bourbon distilleries and they sell you their small batch whiskey, um, when they say small batch, that means fewer than 300 barrels that they've selected to blend together uh, into that batch. So uh, when we say small batch, it's like a barrel, you know, <laughs> uh, our dark rum, we might get to blend together two or three barrels and, and get to pick some flavor characteristics that we want in there. Uh, but we don't get nearly the same ability yeah. to select barrels for certain characteristics and make, you know, make it you know, every bottle of Jack Daniels you buy tastes exactly like the last bottle you bought. And that's an impressive thing in itself. Yeah. But they have Rick houses with thousands yeah, millions. of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, millions of barrels. So, and, and another thing in that is the style of stills that we're using kind of are they create flavors that the big guys can't create with their continuous column stills. But at the same time, there's, there's more inconsistency from batch to batch because we have batches, whereas they're running kind of continuously in very different setup. Now, do those giant Rick houses, do they have to like manually move all the barrels around like you would have to, or are they, they mostly like, just ca- sit in there pump. until they're ready to be pulled out, I guess. Okay. Um, uh, and I, I have always wondered about, <laughs> about it, you know, because they're like seven or eight or stories tall. And well, yeah, I saw the like pictures of there was that I think it was last summer that Rick House that collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I saw the pictures of that, and it, I mean, it looked like it was literally just a big barn filled yeah. with barrels. It that, is. Like, in my mind, I couldn't figure out how you would logistically get to anything. Yeah, so I guess they've got kind of these little <laughs> elevators that you rolled up to, or you lifted up to a certain level, and then they all roll in on on these stacks. Um, so and then you got to pull them out the same way. Huh. That seems, um, yeah. I'm on sure a large after. scale, on a large scale, this stuff is just incredible to me because we're on such a small scale. That <laughs> That's even on a small scale. It seems difficult. So I can't, and I guess they've been doing it for hundreds <laughs> of years. They probably have it down pat yeah. a little bit yeah. at this point. And you don't have to stack the barrels if you don't want to okay. just sit them all on the floor. It <laughs> <laughs> just saves a lot of space. So of these, what is your favorite? Uh, my favorite's definitely the Solera aged rum. Um, I love our dark rum, and then um, our coffee, coffee rum liqueur as well. Yeah. So far of these, of the three, the Solera is definitely my favorite. Yeah, me too. It definitely has more uh, more complex flavors in it than than the other ones did. I'm also a huge fan of coffee, so. I'm, expecting to like this one yeah so this I, it definitely has a strong aroma of coffee <laughs> yeah we get people to taste it and like oh my god it tastes like coffee <laughs> that is the word we put yeah. on the label and not and <laughs> not in a small font it is a large uh <laughs> it's not hidden there somewhere yeah so this is um we came out with this about a year and a half ago and it's been our top seller for most months since then. This is really good. Thank you. I really like that one. Yeah, so it's it's a little lower. It's at 60 proof, so it's tamer than the rest of them. Uh, but that's still high for a liqueur. You know, a lot of liqueurs are 20 proof, 30 yeah. proof. Yeah, I can't. I don't know if it's because like my palate is 
adjusted enough across the first three or because of being lower, but like it's, there's not much, uh, actually, I don't think there's any alcohol burn at all with this <laughs> one. Yeah. And, and this is also the sweetest of the bunch. So that, that certainly helps it as well. That one's dangerous. <laughs> I don't. I think you could drink a lot of that one. Not, yeah, uh, we get we get you know, <laughs> photos on social media of people that bought a bottle yesterday and sending us a picture of an empty bottle. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Had to come back for more. <laughs> yeah, they, I would imagine a a whole bottle of that would do some damage. <laughs> But yeah, that would be really good. Like, uh, just mixed in with some espresso. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, make that my new morning drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we just opened. Um, we just opened our tavern. Um, so we've got a place now where you can actually drink our spirits. You know, in cocktails and and not just. So previous to now, we've had to just serve little little tiny samples, yeah. and that's all we could do. Um, when when Blackwater first opened up, couldn't even give tours, do tastings, or or any bottle sales at all. So they got a law passed in 2012 that sort of allowed that to happen. So you could, we could bring people through, show, show them the production, serve them up to three samples and, and sell up to three bottles. Um, and then other distilleries started opening up in 2014. That started, it just started making a lot more sense. Um, and one of those was uh, not in 2014, but one that has opened up since was Secrets down in Ocean City. Uh, they wanted to make their own alcohol. So um, they were actually instrumental in kind of getting the law passed to allow you to serve the alcohol in, in um, cocktail form. So um, we formed the Maryland Distillers Guild in um, 2015, I think, and started kind of banding together just to get closer to what breweries and wineries have been able to do for decades. Um, so our, our new place, we've got, um, got 13 taps devoted to mostly Maryland craft beer. Um, Delaware is kind of local to us, so we have a little... Uh, dogfish head on tap right now but pretty much everything else is is maryland uh, a lot of burley oak and rer and um yeah sticking mostly to the eastern shore in the yeah. beginning here um we've got a, a local one that just opened up called called classic doing a lot of kind of classic german style beers um and then we're doing our own keg cocktails we've got cocktails on draft um kind of save a lot of the the more sciencey uh kind of fun stuff for the keg cocktail so we can really front load the labor and, and then give you something pretty impressive and surprising just with the pull of a tap handle. That's cool. Yeah. So we've got a nitro white Russian, we've got a, a clarified daiquiri and a, a clear rum punch as well. And then, uh, we make our own ginger beer in house. So we make a ginger syrup and then, uh, carbonate that for our, we do a, a menu that we call our mule menu. So it's all Moscow mules with our various spirits and, and dark and stormies and that sort of thing, ginger beer and lime juice and, and the spirit. And then a bunch of a uh, bunch of cocktails as well. Did the law pass this year that allows for distilleries to? Graham's shaking his head. Yes. So yeah, you... just just yesterday or last night, I guess. Okay. Um, so now, yeah, to to get this tavern, we had to switch from a class one distilling license to a class nine. So the class one allows you to manufacture, and uh, if you want to, you can form a your own wholesaler to distribute. Um, class nine allows you to manufacture and you can form your own retailer. So you have to get a separate tavern license. So for counties like Frederick that don't have a tavern license, it's, it's been a pain like these distilleries like uh, 10th Ward McClintock, they're not able to open their own yeah. tavern still. So the law just passed last night to allow class one distilleries to sell um, cocktails up to a certain, I guess, gallon limit per year. Um, 
and that looked for a while like it wasn't going to pass. So that was pretty exciting that that happened kind of last minute. Yeah, so now they can have like their cocktail lounge or something. Yep, yep. So start seeing a lot more waxed mustaches and all that. <laughs> <laughs> so, vests. <laughs> um, is the tavern attached to the distillery or is it another? So we opened up a, a new place. We started okay. up in a business park. Uh, we're about a mile from there now, so we're we're keeping our current space or our, our previous space for uh, barrel storage, bottling. Um, the new place we've got our, our tavern. We had intended to move all our production over there at the same time, um, but we ran into a lot of issues with the uh, planning and zoning, and then the mainly the fire marshal at the new place. So um, the build out took a lot longer and was a lot more expensive than we thought. So we had to concentrate on just the tavern. So right now we're still producing at our old place, um, and hopefully in the next six months or so we'll be able to move the production over to the new place as well. So now we're right on Route 50. So as you go over the Bay Bridge, you'll you can kind of see our our facility on the left. Okay, so a, you're a site right on the there highway and everything. Um, so gonna have hundreds of thousands of eyes on us every every year. So that'll be nice. Hopefully, a, a big boost. Um, Off the stop the next time my wife makes me go to uh, Ocean City. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to yeah. go that far. You can just come to Kent Island. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, because I don't like Ocean City. <laughs> A lot of good breweries uh, on the way, though. Um, that, that was going to be my next question. Have you worked with um, any of the local breweries to you? Because it seems to be a, a growing trend of uh, breweries and distilleries collaborating on things together, even more than just uh, sharing barrels, but like taking um, wort from a brewery mm-hmm. or even sometimes a finished beer and distilling that into... It seems mainly whiskeys, but I guess you could do – that's really all you could do, right? Yeah, um, and so maybe, you can't even call it whiskey. So yeah. <laughs> so we have we have done it. Um, we didn't work with a local brewery, but um, there was a distributor that had a, a bunch of German lager beers that had kind of reached their uh, sell-by date. Um, it was like a special edition from one of the Munich breweries, special release. Uh, and so they could no longer sell them as beer. Okay. Uh, and we got, they had sent out a, an email to like the, they're in the, the nice swing top bottles, which homebrewers love. Uh-huh. So I'd sent out an email to the homebrewers uh, group, which I was, and, and our other distiller were on. Um, so we emailed them and they're like, how many do you have? They're like, you know, like pallets. We're like, we'll take 10 pallets. <laughs> 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 so we got 10 pallets of beer and then, you know, I spent all night going like this. I was just say, swing tops can sometimes be a pain to yeah, open so too. Your thumbs through, were probably very oh, sore. It hurt so bad. <laughs> got really good at it. Just going through the case like pop, 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 and then pick the whole case up, dump it in the still. Because at first I was doing like, you know, two, two in the still, one for me. And <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we distilled that. Um, so we distilled a Bach Doppelbach and Oktoberfest. Um, also distilled a Hefeweizen, but we didn't really like that, so that went down the drain. Um, but the other three we combined and, and just made a, those 10 pallets filled one barrel. Oh, uh, well, I guess yeah. seven pallets without the Hefeweizen. So I filled one barrel, um, and uh, we aged that for just a little over a year and released that, and it was it was really nice. Um, the you know, those German lagers aren't hoppy uh, to begin with, um, but even if it is hoppy, the, the bitterness kind of stays behind in the still while mm-hmm. mostly the, aroma, the hop aroma and flavor come over. So it had this little kind of piney sort of resinous note to it, and then it was like a nice single malt whiskey other than that. So that was really popular. We only had one barrel. It sold out. Um, we're talking to Heavy Seas right now about hopefully doing something with um, – they did a, an ice bock 
um, that uh, we might be able to get some some of that, get our hands on some of that to do something similar. That would be a natural uh, melding of the two brands like, yeah. with the <laughs> stories on the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did you just have to call it like a barrel aged spirit? Yeah. Or? So that was, that was kind of controversial. So we, we called it, um, beer geist, which would be German, okay. German for beer spirit. Um, had like a, the Bavarian flag in the background and everything and, and the text kind of around the circular label telling you what we had done. So, you know, distilled from Bach, Offelbach, Oktoberfest beers, aged for a minimum of a year in new charred oak, submitted that to the TTB for label approval. Um, well, the first controversy was we tried to call it a whiskey. So the first step was to submit the recipe. They came back and said, well, you didn't distill it from grain, so it's not a whiskey. They were like, we distilled it from beer, which is made from grain. Yeah. They're like, no, you distilled it from beer, not grain. They're like, okay. So we, they put it into a category that's kind of a catch-all um, uh, distilled spirit specialty. And apparently, when we submitted the label, we learned that the distilled spirit specialty category doesn't allow you to tell the consumer like anything about what's in the bottle. So they said mm-hmm. distilled spirit specialty can't have an age statement. So you have to take off. So I took off the like 12 months. And then they're like, no, you literally can't say anything about it being aged. So I had to delete <laughs> like, you know, all that, some of that text off the side. And then they're like, also, like, this will be confusing to the consumer to talk about all these beers because they'll think it's beer in the bottle. So, yeah, I had to take off about what it was distilled from <laughs> at the end. And then at the very end, we thought we had everything worked out. And they came back and they're like, can you translate Beergeist? I'm like, great. <laughs> it means beer spirit in German. They're like, you can't say beer on the, on the label in any language. So we had to delete beer. And then we just called it Geist, Bavarian flag. That was it. <laughs> Uh, that, that just seems so backwards that they would want yeah. to, you know, we're willing to give, you know, all the information <laughs> yeah. to, to our, to people who are going to buy our stuff and they want us to give less. That's just incredible. I, I, I just won't say anything. <laughs> um, uh, last week I interviewed a, it'll probably, end, I, I have so many shows lined up now. It'll probably be a little while before I release it. Uh, but there's a, a German, uh, brewer who was in town um and i got to interview him oh, cool and he grew up in ellicott city he moved to germany and he opened his uh in-laws owned a beer garden and then then he started uh, brewing his own beer for the beer garden mm-hmm. uh but he has a friend who has a distillery so he started taking his pale ale that he makes to the the distillery and they distill it into a schnapps right and it was actually it was really good cool yeah, that's that's an arrangement. I mean, some some distillers have taken that uh, to an actual business model. I think uh, uh, in Pennsylvania, there's Manitani Stillworks and Sly Fox Brewing, or like right across the street. And I, I think they might have put a pipeline underneath. Oh, wow. Sly Fox just sends sends them wort, and they <laughs> they distill it into into their whiskeys, which is pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah, it seems like it would probably be a more expensive way to create wort, though. Or maybe they can actually. Sly Fox is so huge; it probably is. Yeah, I really don't really know. Cheap for them to do. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that when or if you make gin, is that around the corner or is? Yeah, so um, we got our tavern now, so it makes sense to start covering more of the spirit categories. So we'll probably do some stuff that is is kind of just for the tavern uh, at for, at least at first uh, before we. Uh, rolled out to kind of the broader market. So um, we got, I've got the recipe done for a gin. Uh, right now we're buying a gin from uh, Baltimore Spirits Company, their Shot Tower Gin. Okay. Um, so we use that in our cocktails until we get ours going. 
Um, we've got some new Rome liqueurs coming up. Um, and then we'll just, the, the fun thing about the tavern is we don't have to release it to put out to the market and make a whole bunch of it so we can play around with just small things. It's, it's a lot more fun. Is, um, going back to the, the type of still, is it more efficient to, or less efficient to use heating elements that are electric as opposed to like a steam jacket, or is it really just a different method? Uh, the big thing is it's, it's a lower uh, upfront cost. Um, so if you get a steam fired still, you got to get a boiler and, and, and mm. all that. So, um, a lot of people start out with an electrically fired still just cause it's lower okay. barrier to entry. That's got its limitations. Can it be converted anyway, or do you just have um, to get a whole new still? You could probably convert it not to a steam jacket, but to like a steam coil or something on the inside and still need to get a boiler and then just run it through like a, a copper coil on the okay. inside of the still. Um, so someday. <laughs> is it a column still or a pot still? Yeah, so it's a it's what's called a hybrid still. So it's it's got a pot, so that makes it a lot different than the the big column stills that you'd see at the big bourbon distilleries or big rum distilleries. Um, but then it's got this column on top of it. Uh, it looks pretty cool. It was built uh, by some guys in Kentucky in a garage. Um, <laughs> and it sounds uh, a little so, shady. Yeah, it, it, it was shady. So it's got some real character to it. Um, it uh, Started out with a lot of problems. I think these guys taught themselves to TIG weld on our st still. So <laughs> we've had to redo like half the welds ourselves. We've got it, you know, we kind of designed it from a theoretical perspective and then we had to reconfigure things. So um, it looks a lot different than when it came in. Okay. And uh, the, the welds are actually hold uh, steam now, <laughs> which is which is useful when, you're, a, when you're distilling. It's a plus. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's a pot with a column on top and it's pretty versatile. We can distill from to a very low purity. Uh, if we're going to put something into a barrel for 10 years or we can distill to a very high purity if we're going to make something like our white and gold rum that we want to be very pure and, and okay. approachable up front. Well, it may have been made by two guys in Kentucky, but it, it is producing <laughs> <laughs> very nice spirits. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that, so that, shady. <laughs> after, after the company broke up afterwards, I guess the one guy stole like all the copper and ran off with it. and. <laughs> <laughs> So I think it's, ours was like the last still they built too. <laughs> no, it's a collector's item in now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would probably work that into your the company story <laughs> somehow also. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but it really it really does make some nice stuff and and uh, is versatile. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you want to cover or talk about or coming well, up? Well, um, uh, apparently. You know, this podcast doesn't air fast enough for me to talk about our grand opening, which is uh, apparently last weekend or so now. Yeah, um, this well, this will come out next Wednesday. Yeah, so it was it was last weekend. Okay, um, I hope you had fun. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hope, hope nobody got hurt in the bouncy castle. <laughs> that uh, now that seems like that may be a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Hopefully, for you have a strict you have a strict kids only policy yeah. for. <laughs> We'll see. We had to hire some bouncers and everything, so we'll see how it all works out. <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to have uh, some live music and a lot of outdoor activities and games and that sort of thing. So our place, uh, we've got capacity inside for uh, a little over 90 people, and then we've got an outdoor patio that sort of doubles that. And then we've got a lot of land, um, so it's usually a parking lot, but we've got a good arrangement uh, with the, the middle school down the street. So if we do events on the weekend, people can park there, and we've got plenty of parking and everything. Oh, nice. Um, so we can pull special permits and do a lot of a lot of good outside stuff. So have you been 
running as a soft opening for a while or is this yeah like so we did our doors? we did like a friends and family opening on uh, march 1st um soft opening later that weekend um and then yeah we've we've been open uh we just haven't done like the big ribbon yeah. cutting ceremony and the big to do <laughs> all to... that yeah so that'll be that'll be the last weekend okay <laughs> <laughs> well i hope you had a great I feel like time that happens so I often hope, on your yeah. podcast yeah. well i <laughs> It was a real pain to do them live, like from a st- scheduling standpoint. Yeah. Um, we, but now it becomes very confusing. <laughs> if, like if we're talking about anything time related, you have to stop thinking. Like, no, it's this is next Wednesday, <laughs> not right now. <laughs> yeah, and I hadn't, I, I hadn't planned to come on here and promote that, and then I was like, oh, I'm going on that podcast. I should totally <laughs> promote that. Ah. <laughs> Send him an email like a week too late. <laughs> well, now, um, now everyone can come and enjoy at the weekend where it's a little less crazy. Yeah, and calm down. Yep, a little and bit. we're good. And hopefully, all the kinks worked out and everything, and <laughs> hopefully, we still have booze afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, when will you be open? Uh, so we're open uh, seven days a week. Okay. Um, it's uh, eleven a.m. to ten p.m. Monday or Sunday through. Thursday and then open to midnight Friday and Saturday. And w- what's the address? 405 Cleet Street, C L E A T in Stevensville. And there's a big sign right off. Of yeah, 15, we're so. easy to see and hard to get to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, if you're if you're coming from the west, um, by the time you've seen us, it's it's kind of too late to get okay. there easily. So basically, you have to get off at the exit right after the Bay Bridge before you can actually see our sign, and then make your way through Main Street, um, Main Street Stevensville, and then turn right back to the highway and go down this little road behind a gas station, and then you get to us. Okay. <laughs> and then just search uh, Blackwater Distilling, and I'll yep, imagine Bla- on all social media. Yeah, blackwaterdistilling.com, um, at Blackwater Distilling on Instagram, Blackwater Distilling on Facebook. Apparently we're on Twitter too, but I don't have it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, will you be bringing anything special to the Spirits Festival? So I think we're probably going to have our uh, our featuring our dark rum, um, honey vodka, coffee liqueur, and whiskey. And then I think we'll be making a cocktail. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. Um, and we'll kind of we'll probably have everything under the table. We try to. We started out putting everything on the table. I think the, the first time we did the Frederick Spirits Festival, we had like 10 bottles on the table and people just came by like, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll keep it to four now. And then if you want to try something that's under the table, just ask us. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is, it can be a slightly overwhelming event because there, there's, well, I think like 15 distilleries usually or yeah. somewhere around there. And everyone has a whole lineup of products and it's, it, it can, can leave that pretty wrecked yeah it can be overwhelming <laughs> all right well i want to thank you so much for coming out thank you we'll end with uh a shot of the whiskey i made with mcclintock which reminded me that i'm an idiot so i absolutely do remember now that what the wash looks like when you put it in making whiskey <laughs> it, it is filled with goop and <laughs> the still was a mess <laughs> when yep. when we finished distilling it yeah, and this um, is this is malt, so it's it's yeah. not all that messy compared to you know normally they're doing rye for rye and bourbon, which are a lot more sticky and 
just a pain to work with. Yeah, the only time I was there when they they were making a rye whiskey, they were distilling some Riot Rye from Monocacy Brewing. Okay, and so it, <laughs> yeah, they, then it's just the yeah. I don't think I've again. I don't think I've ever been down there while they were um, making rye whiskey. Well, go by and uh, volunteer to clean out the still afterwards. No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you know what this is. Um, so I'd say thank you for coming right, out. Cheers. Uh, thank, thank you everyone you. watching and listening. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.